people laugh and break the ice, but I don't have anything to clever to say, but uh, I don't use a pulpit because I have to somehow manage to keep high schoolers' uh, attention by making them feel engaged. Uh, so again, just raise your hand if you need a Bible. If you do have a Bible, go ahead and open up to uh, Romans one twenty-two. Romans one twenty-two. Before we begin, I'm just going to go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Father God, help me. Help us. Lord God, I praise you that you are unbelievably sovereign. God, I praise you that you are king. I praise you for the cross. I thank you that you restore broken people. God, I pray that uh, you would just be with us. I pray that you would... Uh, just overwhelm us with your love and God I just ask that idols will be exposed and God I just ask that you would also help me to properly interpret your word and uh, God just help me to remember everything that I've studied God I pray that uh, we would all be attentive and that we would learn something fresh and new today Lord we love you and praise you for how wonderful you are in Jesus name amen The number one problem in America is idolatry. And idolatry is the sin underlying all other sins. Idolatry is the main sin underlying all other sins. And you can witness, I'm sure you all have witnessed, uh, firsthand American idolatry at shopping stores and malls during the notorious Black Friday where people sacrifice their time and their energy and their money for a discounted material object, even if that means stampeding over people and injuring them or killing them. That's firsthand American idolatry. You see, American idolatry isn't as blatantly obvious as other cultures and other countries. And that's because our idolatry doesn't primarily include the worship of engraven images and mythical gods and goddesses. What happens is we fail to examine our own culture's idolatry problem, and it is severe. Okay, we, we, don't, we don't have a very expansive and exhaustive understanding of the definition of idolatry. How does the Bible define idolatry? And because we do not have a very accurate understanding of it, we then fail to examine our own idolatry problem for the examination of other cultures in other countries. So my one purpose, my attempt today is to simply Define idolatry in a way that you maybe have never understood it before. And in so doing, I pray that your idols will be exposed. We're going to go in Romans 1, 22 through 25. But before I get there, I have to contextualize. That's what I'm supposed to do as a preacher. I want to give you some background on Romans, the epistle to the Romans. So Paul wrote 
the epistle to the Romans from Corinth on his third missionary journey in 57 AD. And Corinth was a city of intellectual arrogance, wealth, trade, travel, immorality of all kinds, and guess what? Idolatry. The city had seaports and crossroads that established it as a major city of trade and travel within the Roman Empire. The people of Corinth were pleasure-seeking pagans. Okay, they were hedonists. And they were widely known for their loose living and their carefree lifestyles and their brazen sexual immorality, unabashed, in your face, very sexualized. And the sexual acts, including prostitutes, all kinds of sexual acts, unspeakable, were permitted under the worship of Aphrodite, the goddess of fertility and sexuality. And the city was full of blatant, blatant sin and debauchery, much like our culture today. Not much has changed over a thousand years, thousands of years. Not much. Here's what's interesting that I'm sure not many of you have realized. That when you're reading Romans 1.22 through 32, you are actually seeing a reflection of what Paul is witnessing in Corinth. So it is very likely that in this list that he gives is Paul's firsthand experience and observations in the culture that he is witnessing to. So again, when we're reading this section, I'm going to read it. This is a reflection, a mirror of what Paul is witnessing firsthand in Corinth during his missionary journey. Romans 1.22, professing to be wise... They became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to the uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to the vile passions, for even their own women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgivable, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. In order to properly define idolatry, I need to begin with the definition of worship. So today's sermon is titled on worship and idolatry. We're going to begin with worship. Worship is defined as such. The attributing, for those of you who like notes, Okay, my high schoolers love to take notes. 
I'll repeat myself a couple times so you can write it down. All right. (laughs) Worship is defined as attributing ultimate worth, value, and glory to something or someone. Okay, worship is attributing ultimate worth, value, and glory to something or someone. I don't think you may know this, maybe you do, but everyone, everywhere, at all times, is constantly worshiping. Okay, this includes atheists, this includes agnostics, this includes religious people. Okay, right now, sitting here, we are all worshiping. Harold Best describes the Trinity as such. The constant outpour who is unceasingly, constantly pouring himself out between the persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, in unceasing, constant communication, love, friendship, and joy. We, male and female, unlike the rest of creation, have been created in the image and likeness of God, as God tells us in Genesis 1.26. We bear the image of God. We are created similar to God. Not identical, but similar. Even though sin has fractured Us as mirrors, we are broken mirrors, we still bear and reflect the image of God. Okay, in saying that, we are all constant worshipers as well because we are in the image of God. We are constant outpours. We are unceasing worshipers. It is our nature. We were not created to worship. Okay, that's a common misconception. Okay, we were not created to worship. Because if you were created to worship, that means God was lonely and he needed something. He was lonely and needed a bunch of people to worship him. That's not the case. Okay, we were created worshiping. We were created worshiping. So in other words, worship is not an aspect of our being, something we do here and there. Worship isn't something we do once every Sunday for 25 minutes during some songs. Okay, it is the essence of our being as God's image bearers. Do you understand? It is the essence of our being as God's image bearers. We are constant outpours worshipers. We are constantly giving ourselves to and pouring ourselves out to a person an achievement, a cause, an experience, a hobby, a substance, you name it, constantly. But sadly, because of the effects of the fall, because we are sinners by nature and by choice, we choose to misdirect our worship. We choose to worship something or someone other than God. Because we are affected by sin, because we are sinners by nature and choice. Now, the English word worship, the English word worship derives from the old English phrase worth shape. Okay? 
The English word worship derives from the Old English word phrase, excuse me, worship, which implies that the object of our worship shapes us and gives us our worth in a comprehensive way. The object of our worship, which should be Jesus, is the primary influencer of our thoughts, our actions, our emotions, and our lives. Again, the object of our worship is the primary influencer of our actions, thoughts, emotions, and lives. So this is what I want you guys to know. The big question is, isn't, excuse me, the big question isn't, are you a worshiper? I'm pretty sure we've established that we're all worshipers. All of us. We're constant outpours. The big question is, what are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? And according to Paul's chain of reasoning in Romans 1, as we just read, worship is unavoidable for human beings. Now, if we are not worshiping God as we ought, it does not mean, remember, it does not mean that we have ceased to worship. Rather, we have misdirected our worship to something or someone else. Okay, we are constantly worshiping. We are either worshiping God or we are worshiping something else in a person, an achievement, an experience, a cause, a substance, a hobby, you name it. Constantly worshiping. And this is because we have a heart that has been made to worship. And it continuously seeks to find a place of rest. Okay? Your heart is constantly seeking to find a place of comfort, a place of peace, a place of hope. It's seeking. It's constantly seeking to attach to something or someone that provides those things. And scripture tells us that Jesus is the source of our hope. He is the source of our peace and comfort and rest. And that is because Jesus is unbroken. Okay? All of creation, which includes us, the world, the stars, everything, is fractured and corrupted and affected by sin. Everything. Does it make sense to think that broken people like ourselves can be satiated, satisfied, fulfilled by broken things? It makes no sense. Your heart longs for something that is constant and unchanging and something that will fix your brokenness. The only person that isn't broken, the only person that isn't changing, the only substance, the only thing, the only object that is not broken is Jesus. Therefore, idolatry is defined as such. When we attribute ultimate worship, excuse me, ultimate value, worth, and glory to someone or something other than God. It's worshiping a lie. Those who worship in truth, true worshipers, are those 
who are falling on their knees, clinging to God in the midst of adversity as their source of goodness, their source of comfort, their source of peace. True worshipers are worshiping Jesus and they're influenced by him. Their emotions, their actions, their lives. But those who are worshiping a lie are clinging to created things, as Paul says. Exchanging the truth of God for a lie. So again, idolatry, worshiping a lie, is attributing ultimate worth, value, and glory to something or someone other than God. It is also defined as worshiping created things in the place of creator God. It is also defined as exchanging or replacing the proper object of worship with God imposters. Essentially, I want you to know this. Idolatry is misdirected worship. That's the most simplified definition I can give you. Misdirected worship. Underlying idolatry is a dangerous lie. And let's go ahead and redirect our eyes to the text. Romans 1.22 through 25 says, Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to the uncleanliness and the lusts of the hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Underlying idolatry is a dangerous lie. And this lie was first told to our parents in the Garden of Eden by Satan and has perpetuated throughout history. And this lie says that you are a God. That you can become a God. That you deserve to be worshipped as a God. That you are the source of your identity. You are the source of your meaning. You are the source of salvation. Created things can save you. Created things can define you. You can transform yourself. This is all a lie. Worship is looking outwardly, vertically to God as the source of your meaning, as the source of your identity, as the source of your salvation. And idolatry is looking inwardly at self and horizontally at creation as the source of our salvation, meaning, and identity. Idols are God imposters. Romans 1.25 says, They exchanged, so replaced, the truth of God, that God is the source of our goodness and joy for the lie, that we are the source of our goodness and joy, or created things are the source of our goodness and joy, and worshipped and served, attributed ultimate worth and value and glory to the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Idolatry begins in our hearts when we sacrifice our love for God to pursue God imposters. Okay, idolatry begins in the heart when we sacrifice 
our love for God for God imposters. These God imposters are really good things and really bad things that we make God things. And that is idolatry and idolatry is sin. The first God imposter is yourself. This includes your achievements. This includes your social status. This includes your appearance. This includes your knowledge. And this includes your pleasure. The second God imposter are other people in your life. We elevate celebrities to divine status. We elevate political figures to divine status. We elevate our family to divine status. Yes, we can actually worship our spouse or our boyfriend or our girlfriend, even our kids, as God. Many people do. We can even elevate pastors to divine status. Maybe some of you have elevated Rob to that status. Where you can't hear the word of God preached from anyone but him. You have a worship problem. You're not worshiping Jesus. You're worshiping Pastor Rob. The third God imposter are objects. This includes your iPhone. Oh my goodness, do we worship our iPhones. We pay maybe $200, I mean, unless you got an upgrade, which you had to pay somewhere along the line. (sighs) Yeah, $300, $400, right? You pay that amount of money, and then you get the protective case. 40 bucks. You got to protect this thing, right? Then you pay for the three-year warranty that costs $200 at Best Buy. That's like triple protection. And then you get the nice little screen covering, right, that will protect fingerprints all over it and get the installation fee that maybe costs eight bucks or 10 bucks. Okay, so at the end of the deal, we have spent $800 on an iPhone. And we forsook tithing that week. We worship our iPhones. We really do. It's so stupid, but we do. Another God imposter is your house. Sometimes our house is the source of our comfort, peace, and rest. And we go to our house and, and we feel, oh, comforted, but we completely neglect God. We are worshiping our house, we worship our cars. I'm not sure the average age of all of you, but statistically, males late into their 40s are still addicted to video games. So maybe your gaming system is your idol. Much of your time, much of your energy, and much of your money goes into that. Okay, video games aren't sinful, they're just really stupid. Maybe it is your television, your 50-incher, right, Samsung, LED, LCD, whatever, plasma, whatever it is. That is your object of worship, and you go and you bow to it. 
And you sit in your sanctuary that you have built that holds your beer. No, just kidding. <clears throat> These are all God imposters, but not all of them are bad things, right? A house is good. A car is good. Gets you from point A to point B to have a job, especially around here where everything's so spread out. But you see, idolatry occurs when we take good and bad things and make them God things. If any of these things that I have mentioned take preeminence in your life over God, you are a idolater. If God is not preeminent in your life, then you are a idolater. I'm not going to withhold truth. I'm going to say how it is. In his book, Life in Christ, Studies in 1 John, Martin Lloyd-Jones defines an idol as such. This is great. Anything that holds such a controlling position in my life that it moves and rouses and attracts me so easily that I give my time, my attention, my energy, and my money to it effortlessly. Brian S. Rosner has said, in the Bible, there is no more serious charge than that of idolatry. Idolatry card called for the strictest punishment, elicited the most disdainful polemic, prompted the most extreme avoidance, and was regarded as the chief identifying characteristic of those who were the very antithesis of the people of God. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. That is uh, Isaiah 42.8. Leviticus 19.4 says, Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. And 1 Corinthians 10.14 simply says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee, run, run from it. Perhaps the most compelling and interesting text on idolatry is Psalm 115. It says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. And here we go. Here's the ticket. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. David is essentially saying, you become what you worship. You become what you worship. When you worship God, you as an image bearer reflect his goodness and his character for his glory and your joy. When you worship God, you conform to the likeness of his son. But when you worship created things, you reflect sin. You reflect depravity. And you conform to broken creation. 
brokenness. You become what you worship. When you worship God, you adopt His desires. Maybe some of you have a really hard time loving on people. My question would be, do you really love God? Because when we are worshiping God, when we are loving God, we adopt His desires and His heart, and then it becomes a heck of a lot easier loving people. We become what we worship. When we worship created things, we become stiff-necked, like a, like a mindless idol calf. Mindless, like a beast. The first two commandments tell us to have no other gods, right? And to make no engraven images. Martin Luther reasons that since the first two commandments deal with idolatry, the last eight must be related to it. So when you break commandments three through ten, you have also broken commandments one and two. Therefore, idolatry begins in the heart with misdirected worship. That is the beginning of your sin, and then it manifests itself externally. When someone commits adultery, they have sacrificed their relationship with God and spouse for their God of sex. When someone covets, they have sacrificed the one true God for God imposters. Here's something very striking. When you are committing idolatry, you are essentially removing Christ from his throne and replacing him with something or someone else. That is sin. That is idolatry. <clears throat> I'm going to ask a bunch of questions in order and attempts after now we've defined idolatry in hopes that it will expose idolatry in your lives. And I'll try to be as calm as possible. <laughs> I deal with students and their attention is easily lost, so I do a lot of yelling. <laughs> These will get you. Do you sacrifice your time, energy, talents, emotion, and money to the expansion of God's kingdom for His glory? Or do you sacrifice those things, your time, talents, and treasure, for your kingdom and your glory? What does your schedule look like? What does your paycheck look like? Or excuse me, your che checkbook and your schedule look like? When you receive a paycheck, what do you give to first? To your kingdom, to building your kingdom for your glory? or God's kingdom for his glory. 
If you have those two kingdoms mixed up, you are a idolater. If you got the two kingdoms messed up, you got a worship problem. If you're not giving your first fruits to God, you have a worship problem. Do you sacrifice your time to serve in the church? Or do you not participate? Are you just a consumer? Or are you a producer, one who comes and wants to fix and to fill holes? Children's ministry desperately needs help. Do you have talents? Do you have a teaching ability? Sacrifice your time and talents for the expansion of God's kingdom, amen? Number two, who or what is the source of your refreshment and functional hope throughout the day? Who or what is your functional hope and source of refreshment throughout the day? Is it Christ? Is it Christ? Or do you get home and go straight to the fridge to grab that ice cold beer? To be refreshed. Is it your paycheck? Is that your functional hope? Your day is miserable. You're grumpy. You're upset. You can't wait for Friday to end or the night to begin, in other words. And you get that paycheck and all of a sudden you go from one mood to another. Yes. Number three, who or what is your functional, excuse me, who or what is your primary influencer of your thoughts, your actions, your emotions, and your life? Who or what? What occupies most of your thoughts throughout the day? Is it the promotion you've always been wanting? Some of you love Pinterest. Some of you are like, I have no idea what that is. Good. But some of you are constantly on Pinterest, even at your job. And you are constantly planning the wedding you never had or the wedding that you've always wanted, the home that you've always wanted. Constantly, this is always on your mind, lusting after the perfect family, the perfect wedding. What occupies most of your thoughts? What controls your emotions? If you do not watch your favorite sports team's game that day, is your life ruined? Is your life ruined? Probably a lot of people, yeah. Because our schedules kind of revolve around those things. I'm not going to go to church on Sunday because it's the Super Bowl. Duh. It's a worship problem. If you do not get your daily dose of fill in the blank, is your day ruined? Number four, who or what do you praise and proclaim most frequently? Are you in a constant state of thankfulness and reverence to God? Or are you constantly praising and talking about sports teams? I work two jobs. 
work at the church where a lot of people talk about Jesus, and I work at CR Print where a lot of people talk about sports. And every conversation that they're having revolves around who won and who traded who. No one's talking about Jesus. No one. What do you talk about most often? Is it your hobby? Does that control most of your thoughts? Does that control most of your emotions? Oh, I'm only satisfied. I'm only fulfilled when I'm doing this thing. And then I talk about it to everyone. Telling everybody about my hobby that they don't care about. I know people like that. It's like, I don't care about bike riding. I don't care who won the Tour de France. Like, just don't talk to me about it. I don't care. Maybe some of you just love talking about your kids. Like, all you do is talk about your kids. Like, hey, how's it going? My kids are awesome. (laughs) Wow, I don't even know your name, but I know your kids are great. (laughs) Are you constantly talking about your past? Oh, I used to be able to lift that much. I used to be. You know those used to beers, you know? I used to do that. I used to do this. I used to, yeah, okay. You're not anymore, okay? (laughs) Is it movies and music? Media? Like, hey, dude, you got to see this movie. Les Mis, I've seen it three times. Best movie of the year. If you don't like it, whatever, leave. Just kidding, don't. Don't leave. But I really like the movie, okay? Are you constantly talking about music and movies to people? Go see this. Go do that. But you never invite them to church. You never talk about the gospel. Is your faith private or is it public? At work, Faith is private for a lot of us. We don't want to step on anybody's toes. I deal with this constantly with my high schoolers. Is your faith public or private? Are you unashamed of the gospel? Do you understand that the gospel should restore school? Do you understand that the gospel should restore business? Do you understand that the gospel should restore family? You should let the gospel in every aspect of your life and let it restore it. What do you cleave to in the midst of trial, crisis, and adversity? Most of the high schoolers come straight to me. And I ask them, have you prayed about it? Have you gone to God with this? No then I don't want to hear about it until you pray about it. Then let's talk. Who do you run to? Do you run to your spouse? Do you run to a substance? Beer, drugs, a cigarette? When crisis comes, do you reject God? Do you dethrone him, the God of the universe, the creator of space and time, and tell him that he's not doing a good enough job? God, you're just not cutting it. You and all your omniscience and you being omnipresent and all that, your omnipotence, you just aren't cutting it. You're not doing a good enough job. You're like a four-year-old in the back of a car in a car seat yelling at their parents, telling them they don't know where they're going. It's foolish. 
Who do you cleave to? God is the source of our hope and comfort in the midst of trial and adversity because Jesus identifies with our suffering because he suffered on the cross. Is Christ the primary source of your hope, peace, and rest? Primary source. Or is your job your comfort, your security? Your bank account, is that your comfort and security? If those things don't add up, you're just in a rut? Where do you find your comfort? Where do you find your peace? Where do you find your rest? And lastly, who or what is your source of identity, meaning, and salvation? What is your functional savior? What do you trust in for your identity? For high schoolers, this may be different because they're dealing with a lot of image. They dress a certain way and act a certain way and talk a certain way. And that shapes their identity. That shapes their meaning. And having various objects shapes their worth. For you, I just want you to think, what is it that I absorb my identity from? Without that one thing, I'm lost. If your identity is in your job, your job isn't constant or guaranteed. And when it goes, when you get fired or when your business implodes, where's your identity? Remember that the only thing that does not change, the only constant, the only thing that is unbroken is Jesus. You see, I struggled with worshiping really good things that God had blessed me with. I made them God stuff. I've worshipped gym, which kept me healthy, but my schedule, my meals, my life, I would sacrifice devotion time. It all revolved around going to the gym. Seriously, it was an obsession that needed to end. And if I didn't go to the gym that day, I was miserable. I was self-conscious. I wouldn't want to go out. I'd wear jackets. (laughs) Like, don't look at me. (laughs) I didn't go to the gym today. I went to Moody Bible Institute, and I worshipped Moody Bible Institute while studying God. (laughs) Ridiculous. How does that even happen? I'm the graphic designer here. I've worshipped design on numerous occasions. When we launched our new website, that was the primary object of my worship. Most of my thoughts and actions and emotions went into it. And when it didn't go right, I was upset. When it went well, I was fine. I worshipped graphic design, a good thing. But I made it a God thing. I've also worshipped ministry, where I forsook Any alone time with God, connecting, praying, reading with God for ministry. How does that even happen? I've also worshipped my beautiful wife as God. And a lot of us do. We worship our spouses, our boyfriends, our girlfriends as God. And that is idolatry. 
Maybe right now some of you are realizing that you were a much bigger sinner than you thought. That's really good. Because that is the first step of repentance. The second step of repentance is realizing that Jesus is a much bigger Savior. You see, when idolatry is exposed in our lives, we must take responsibility to tear it from its throne where Christ used to sit. Be brutal with your idol. I'm not talking to... Okay, this does not include violence if your idol is your wife. Okay, this is a hard issue. Remember this. Goodness gracious. Disclaimer. Holy mackerel. But tear your idols down from the throne where Christ used to sit. Amen? You see, if you don't, my wife said brilliantly, it will be a wet blanket. Idolatry becomes a wet blanket over your spiritual life that prevents you from progressing, prevents your sanctification. Idolatry is serious. And we are all guilty of idolatry. We must worship Jesus above everything else. He comes first. We worship Jesus because He is God. We worship Jesus because he is the source of our satisfaction. He fits the groove. He satisfies the soul. He fulfills our deep longings. We worship Jesus because he is the source of our salvation. Apart from him, no one is saved. Your morality can't save you. Your your immorality doesn't prevent you from being saved. Apart from the cross, no one is saved. We worship Jesus because he, unlike all of us and the rest of creation, is unbroken and he fixes broken people and he will return to permanently restore and fix all that is broken. We worship Jesus because he takes sinners like ourselves and gives us brand new identities. We worship Jesus because one day we will meet him face to face and he will wipe away all our tears and turn all of our agony into glory. Flee from idolatry and worship Jesus. Father God, we thank you and love you for how wonderful you are. We thank you and praise you that you put up with us. We thank you that your forgiveness is poured out on us when we turn from our sins. You are just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord Jesus, I pray that this message has served to expose our idols. I pray all of us would take responsibility of our sin and confess it before you. Depending on how severe our idolatry is, I pray that we would seek extra help maybe a biblical counselor or pastor. Lord Jesus, I thank you and praise you that you are unbroken, that you are perfect. I thank you for making me new, making us new, giving us a new heart, a new identity, adopting us into a new family with a new father. Lord, we love you and praise you for everything that you do and continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think that's it. You're free to go.